BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the Balance One podcast, Soul on Fire. I'm your host, Jordan Younger, and today we've got a bonus episode for you. I've been on a roll recording content for you guys, and today I wanted to offer something a little bit different, but so important for every business owner and entrepreneur, which is everything an entrepreneur should know legally when they're setting up their business. So I started my business kind of I would say on a whim, I started The Balanced Blonde, which used to be called The Blonde Vegan, in 2013 when I was still in school. And as I told Grant in this episode, I was such a creative mind, I'm still such a creative mind, and I never thought that I would end up being an entrepreneur and a business owner for almost a decade now. Even though entrepreneurial spirit runs through my blood, both of my parents are entrepreneurs and have started many different companies based off of what they love. So I had always seen it around me growing up, but there is a whole legal back end to having a business. And I know so many people who listen to this podcast are entrepreneurs of some kind, whether you have a podcast or a blog or you're a health coach or you have an online shop or an in-person shop. I mean, there's so many people who listen to this podcast and I know some of you listening are also lawyers. So I hope you'll find this episode really interesting because this is the first time I've had a lawyer on the podcast and not just any lawyer, but my lawyer, Grant Atkinson. And I was connected to him through a mutual friend when I was looking for some legal help and looking to trademark everything in my business as well as refine my contracts and talk about what was best for taxes and so many different things that this creative mind really needed some help with. And it's just amazing when you're a business and you have offerings that you share with people to have a legal team on hand. And so I really wanted to offer a practical episode for anyone who is kind of figuring all this stuff out. And I know even my friends and I who are entrepreneurs, we talk all the time about, well, what should we be? Should we be an LLC? Should we be a sole proprietorship? What's best for us when it comes to everything really? And how are we legally protected? And then if you are a podcaster or a blogger who's looking to work with brands, contracts are a part of daily life. I think contracts are a part of daily life in almost all businesses, even the very creatively minded businesses. So I'm so excited to have Grant on the show today to talk about all this stuff. He is also a really interesting and amazing guy in the sense that he 
went to law school and is a lawyer, but he's always wanted to be a lawyer for creatives and artists and people with more of a creative mind. And he didn't really see that in the traditional um, law world and all the places that he was working when he graduated from law school. So he ended up making his own firm called Framework Law. And he works with a lot of spiritual people, creative people, artistic people. And I'm very lucky and very happy to be one of them. So if you guys need a lawyer, you should definitely reach out to him. So in this episode, we talk about many things, picking the right business entity, including so many different pros and cons of each different type of business entity, protecting your intellectual property, because those of us who share things online, it's very easy to get copied and then He talks about trademarks, copyrights, all these different things, basic licenses and registrations that you need to legally operate a business. We talk about contracts. We talk about his journey to becoming a lawyer and finding the type of firm, of course, that works for him, which was starting his own. So he's an entrepreneur as well. And of course, we dive into some spirituality topics because I couldn't help myself. So before we dive into this episode with Grant, and I'm so excited for you to learn from him, I want to thank our sponsor for today's show, which is a new sponsor that I'm really excited about, Beekeepers Naturals. Beekeepers Naturals is on a mission to reinvent your medicine with clean, effective products that actually work. What I love about them is that they are products from the earth that are incredibly supportive to our immune system. Beekeepers Naturals created a whole hive of products packed with immune-loving essentials so you can feel your best all day, every day. What's really cool about this brand is that I used to purchase this brand at Erewhon all the time before they were ever a sponsor for the podcast. And I always love when that happens because I have a lot of experience with the product and I've seen it work wonders on my immune system. I also know that I love the way it tastes. I love anything having to do with bees and honey. And what I'm currently loving the most from the brand is their propolis spray. I take the propolis spray once a day to support my immune system. And just to tell you a little bit about what bee propolis is, it delivers natural germ-fighting properties and antioxidants to defend and protect our bodies. It's sustainably sourced, and this spray is made with just three simple ingredients. You'll never find refined sugars, dyes, or dirty chemicals in any of these products ever. You can take it daily or whenever you're starting to feel like you just need a little bit of an immune boost. It tastes delicious, like I said, and they are so confident that you will love their products that they offer a 100% money-back guarantee. If for any reason you're unhappy with any of their products, they will refund all of your money, no questions asked. I also love that the founder, Carly, is a young female founder and entrepreneur, and she founded this brand based off of her own autoimmune issues and a white space in the market that she saw that she could fill. So we've worked out an exclusive deal for the Balance Bomb listeners. Receive 15% off with your first order. Go to beekeepersnaturals.com slash blonde or use the code blonde at checkout to claim this deal. That's B-E-E-K-E-E-P-E-R-S n-a-t-u-r-a-l-s dot com slash blonde. I recommend the propolis spray and also check out their other clean remedies you and your family will love. Meet your new medicine cabinet with Beekeepers Naturals and you can also find them nationwide in over 1,000 stores like Whole Foods and Sprouts. So I know you will love. Now let's head into this episode with Grant Atkinson, my lawyer.
All right. We're recording. Grant, I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you for having me. Of course. And you just drove up from the mountains, you were saying, which sounds so nice. And I'm so jealous because just craving that solitude in my life right now. Yeah. I just drove down from Wrightwood, California. My wife and our two daughters moved there back in July, a little bit after the pandemic hit. We were like, okay, yeah. enough of the city. Let's go find some quiet nature. And it's been beautiful up there. That's so nice. So you're here to talk about a topic that we have never covered on the podcast before. And I'm excited, which is all things legal for entrepreneurs. As I was connected to you through a friend, you've been helping me with a lot of things, trademarking, things that a creative brain like myself just never really got into, even though I've had a business for eight years. So I just want to talk about all of that with you. And before we get into it, tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming a lawyer and how you got into it. Yeah, definitely. So growing up, I've kind of always been a bit of an artist. Like in elementary school, I used to make movies with my family on the holidays and I thought that was awesome. That's so cool. And then in junior high, I started playing music and had a high school punk band and got into photography. Oh, cool. So I felt like pretty firmly on an arts path. And that led me from the Midwest in Chicago, where I grew up, to the College of Santa Fe in New Mexico, which was like a tiny liberal arts school, which doesn't even exist anymore. But I went there with the idea of focusing on film. And like pretty soon into that, I found myself also interested in my political classes, my logic classes, and kind of other more civic-minded things. And I felt like art could be something that I could keep as a hobby, and then maybe I could focus my academic efforts more in like the politics or legal realm. And at the school, I was surrounded by like other musicians and actors and filmmakers and artists. And I thought it would be super cool if I could become their lawyer one day. So that was the shift I made. And then when we graduated, I kind of followed a bunch of friends off to LA where they were pursuing various artistic things. And I applied for law schools. Um, ultimately, I ended up going to law school in the Bay Area. Um, in Santa Clara University. That was a great place to be for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but afterward, I came back to LA in the hunt for the the dream creative law firm job. Um, but at the time, like there was not that job or any other job, really. It was kind of like, take what you can get. Um, so I hunted and hunted and then ended up working at a few different firms doing all kinds of various things like civil litigation with old businesses, suing other old businesses for a breach of contract, uh, personal injury claims. I got to touch on some kind of transactional contracts that were interesting. I filed some trademarks. We had some entertainment clients. But overall, my experience at those firms was kind of like what you traditionally expect from a law firm, which is kind of like a big stuffy dinosaur tower where you go up and you sit in a waiting room with a receptionist until someone comes out in a Mm -hmm. suit and you get to talk to them and they scare you and condescend you and trick you out of every dollar you have and sell you things you don't need. And you kind of go on this long, confusing path, uh, which seems like super kind of out of touch or hard to deal with, especially if you're a creative and you're an artist, like the thought of getting your legal together. Oh my God, it gives me anxiety to even think about a building like that. So after some time at those places, like I I got some experience, but I'm like a kind, gentle soul and it just wasn't vibing with Mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. And the entrepreneur in me was kind of buzzing about like what my dream 
law firm would look like. And at the time, I, there was like so much, so many cool things happening in LA. This was around 2013, 2014. Um, there was like all these cool new handmade art craft shops and wellness centers. And like there was this huge, calm, minimalist branding wellness vibe. And I felt like within that market, there was space for legal as well. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhere where this community of like artists and entrepreneurs and creatives could have a legal peer and I wouldn't need to condescend them. We could kind of just make a plan, help each other out, do what needs to be done in a real efficient way. So that was the concept for the firm. And like, you know, I thought of things like, how would I build differently? How would I brand differently? And I, I came up with a name for the law firm, which was going to be Framework Law Group. Uh, framework resonated with me in like the, the legal framework that any entrepreneur or business needs. And then it kind of has like an artist connotation with framing your work or whatever. So that was the, that was the business I name. I like that. Thank you. And then from there, I like put together a DIY Squarespace website. I like tried my own branding efforts to like put the name in front of like a graffiti wall in the arts district, like something kind of cool. Uh-huh. And then from there, I started just kind of like networking and building partnerships with co-working spaces um, like various art pop-up things. Like there was like artists and fleas in the arts district. Um, Unique LA was a great spot to meet a lot of entrepreneurs and creatives. And this all took a lot of time. It wasn't like I had an idea for a business and then the next day things were working. Um, there was many months between incorporating my law firm and um, getting a paying client. Mm-hmm. And in that time, I, like, I took some side legal gigs doing doc review, which is kind of tedious work reviewing litigation documents, but it paid rent at the time. And then, you know, friends and family, some were kind of like, hey, this is like not working. You should find another job. You know, maybe the market's getting better. Maybe you can do something that is better suited for you. Um, but I kept at it and I started getting some paying clients. And then from there, there was the next challenge with like, I had experience practicing law, but I was getting all kinds of different leads from different people coming to me from co-working spaces looking for this contract or that contract. Uh, but fortunately, I had a really good network of other attorneys that I'd met working at these other law firms or from law school. And so as things came in, I would kind of tap the appropriate person and be like, hey, like tell me everything about trademarking. Like I want to make sure we really do this right. Uh, and so I was able to tap those resources to make sure that even in the early stages, we were doing solid legal work for the people coming in. Mm-hmm. And was it just you at that time? It was just me wow. and like whoever shoulder I could tap. Yeah. But pretty quickly they saw that like whatever I was doing was kind of working. People were coming, they wanted legal services. And these were attorneys with like eight plus years of experience and they knew their stuff. And some of them became partners early on as they were kind of handholding through cases and then becoming um, co-owners of the business with me. One of whom is still with the firm today, Chris Wheeler. He's been like a legal whiz from the beginning. He's got the chops and the humor and you know, fits cool. within our, our general realm of kind of changing the way legal is done. So he's been great. And he was kind of like a mentor and partner along the way. And so yeah, that was kind of how it got started and born. And then it's been seven plus years now and we've worked with like hundreds and hundreds of different wellness brands and we've grown and we've tried different iterations. Like I've tried having a big team I've tried staffing. I've tried mm-hmm. um, all kinds of different things. Like, and there's pros and cons to each model. Right now, I'm a family man 
in the mountains. And I find that so the smaller cool. team is like the easiest thing for me and just taking 1000% ownership of everything that comes in. Right. And just like doing every detail myself has been great right now. And I imagine there'll be more iterations later, but right. that's where we're at. How cool. Very interesting because I didn't expect your journey to parallel. I feel so many parallels to you. I started my business in 2013. I went from being just me to really getting into having a big team for a while and then really scaling back. I prefer to have a really small team at this point. And the entrepreneurial journey is such a wild one. And it's so cool that because you didn't really see a firm that spoke to you, working with creatives and artists and people who you were comfortable with, that you went out and created your own firm that set your soul on fire. This is the Soul on Fire podcast. So you created it yourself. That's so cool. And that's really interesting to me and something that I encourage people to do. So what are your tips to everybody out there? If there's anyone listening who wants to be a lawyer and has never heard a lawyer on TBB podcast, what are your tips for people to follow in your footsteps? Yeah, totally. I think to budding lawyers, I would just emphasize that there's a lot more paths out there than it might seem like. Like I remember in law school, it seemed like the options were you find a big firm or you find a little firm or you go in the house and then maybe... 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, you can put up your shingle if that's what you're into. Um, but there are a lot of other paths. There's a lot of other resources out there. Like I was able to do the bulk of my legal training within my own firm just because I had partners and resources that were able to mentor me in that process while helping build the brand alongside. So there is that. And then if you're Trying to find like how to dive into starting your own law firm, it might seem like a daunting task with lots of expenses. But especially in the modern era, there's so much that can be done digitally. I almost never these days see my clients in person. It's great when we do, but pretty much everything's done over the phone right. or Zoom. I don't rent an office space. I'm not spending thousands of dollars a month there. Um, currently, I don't have any staff that I'm paying. So my, my overhead is super low. Like you can probably start a law firm with like a few hundred bucks or less if you That's wanted so to. Cool. And then it's really just about in terms of getting clients, which seems like the hard part. In my experience, the person-to-person the -person touch is always going to be the most effective. I don't know how many people find their lawyers from a Google search, but like usually people ask, what lawyer do you mm -hmm. know? So the more you're getting yourself out there and putting yourself in front of people um, and being a resource, not a shark um, to help people, so that they know that you're a good person to go to. Right. That's that so true. Well, that's how I found you. Mm -hmm. I needed some legal help. I asked somebody who I trusted, Lacey, who mm -hmm. loves you, spoke so highly of you. And you were so helpful to me. You were the opposite of a shark when I called you with that. What felt to me at the time like such a huge problem and I needed so much advice. And you just kindly gave me that advice. And then we stayed in touch for future things that made sense. That's great. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I love connecting with clients and like learning from them too. It's definitely like my days don't feel like a super stressful lawyer day usually mm -hmm. because I spend a lot of my day just talking with other great entrepreneurs like you and yeah. connecting and kind of co-solving problems together. That's so cool. I love that. I love the way that you've built your brand in that way. So something that I wanted to ask you, because I think so many people who listen to this show are budding podcasters, entrepreneurs, bloggers, influencers, all these different things, or people starting some kind of wellness business. So what would be like the pros and cons of picking the right business entity? 
Like I'm a sole proprietorship. <laughs> I've always been a sole proprietorship, but I definitely thought about starting an LLC. So tell us all the good things that we need to know. Yeah, definitely. Happy to start going through some legal tips for the wellness and other entrepreneur listeners. Um, so if you're starting a business and you want to be legitimate in the eyes of the law, there's a lot of different avenues you can take. You can be a sole proprietor as you're operating, or you can set up a separate business entity. And I'll kind of chat through the pros and cons of each. So at like the base level, uh, to be legitimate, most cities require that you have a business license. So even if you're just an individual doing a business, the city wants you to register with them to get on their radar for tax purposes. Often it's a free registration. Sometimes it costs a few hundred bucks and then you report your annual income and they tax you a couple percent or whatever. So that's kind of a standard baseline that is required in most cities. From there, if you are selling tangible physical goods, like not a digital workshop or something like that, but like physical candles or clothes or whatever, then you're also going to need a seller's permit with the state. Um, and that's also a tax filing that you do just so you're on the radar for taxes and all the goods you sell. And I should note briefly, I'm speaking about this specifically in California. Laws might be different in other states. And then I guess as a standard lawyerly disclaimer, I should say none of this is legal advice. I'm just giving you general <laughs> yes. information. We're just chatting, just <laughs> yeah, having just a chatting. little recorded conversation. So if you need any actual legal help, talk to a lawyer. All right. So moving on, we talk business license, seller's permit. And then if you are doing business as a name that's different than your name as an individual, then you'll also want a DBA. So like if I started my law firm as Grant Atkinson Law Office, then I wouldn't need a DBA because that's my name. But if I wanted to not incorporate but do business as Framework Law Group, I would need a DBA with the county to put a nexus between that business name and myself as an individual. So those are kind of like the three baseline things you want to be thinking about um, if you're just starting off as a sole proprietor to make sure that you have those. Of course, if you're like in certain professions with you're selling cannabis or alcohol, then there might be other licenses and permits you need, but those are kind of like the three standard baselines. Then from there, if in the world of LLCs and corporations and things like that, some of the main benefits to setting up a separate legal entity, one of them is to have limited liability for yourself and your business. And here I often like to use the example of castles just so you can visualize it. So when you're a sole proprietor doing business, as an individual, you're doing business out of your own personal castle. If any damages were to arise in connection to that business and your business was being attacked, it would be your personal castle, which would be your personal car, your home, your bank account. All those would be kind of in the range of um, liability. So the government recognizes that when you're running a business, you are exposing yourself to more liability and they want to encourage you to do that and give you some more protection if you want. And you can do that by setting up a new castle to run your business out of. And that can be an LLC or a corporation. And I'll talk about the pros and cons of each. But when you set up that new castle, if something does go wrong, it's that LLC castle or that corporation castle that is dealing with the consequences. Mm -hmm. And your personal castle, all those assets are isolated and separate from that. So that's one of like the big benefits of setting up an entity is to have that limited liability. Another reason why people will set up a separate entity is to save money on taxes. On the one hand, it's going to cost money to set up an entity and you're going to pay certain taxes every year in connection with that. Like in California, there's a minimum of $800 a year you pay 
for your business entity. So mm-hmm. for some small businesses, um, that's clearly not going to be a savings. That's going to be another another expense. Right. But depending on where you're at, if you're making a decent amount of money, and I'm sure different accountants will differ where this starts, but I don't know, somewhere in the tens of thousands at least, you might want to at least look at whether you will save money with an entity. Because as an individual, unlike being an employee where they take out your taxes for you, when you're an entrepreneur individual, you're getting paid everything kind of one way, often 1099. And there's a tax on that, uh, which can be on the higher side. Mm -hmm. If you were to instead channel your money through an LLC or corporation, there's a lot more options about how you can have that money taxed. Like your accountant might advise that you make an S-corp election and pay yourself out a salary. So you're paying yourself your own W-2. You can also take profit distributions, which might have an even lower tax rate. So you can often save money depending where you're at, by setting up an entity. Wow. I didn't know this. So like an entity separate from a sole proprietorship, my mind is spinning. <laughs> like because, my mind is spinning because this is not my language, but you make it accessible for sure. And would that be... What if it's just you? What if you're the only... You don't have any employees or anything? Would you still recommend setting up an LLC in that case? Yeah. So it doesn't matter if it's just you. Or if you have partners, you can Mm -hmm. set up an LLC and be the sole owner of that. Or you can set up a corporation and be the sole owner Mm -hmm. of that. And you'll still get that limited liability protection. And you'll still get those tax options and how you are taxed. Wow. Interesting. I used to have a clothing line called the Balanced Blonde Apparel. Mm -hmm. It was called the Blonde Vegan Apparel because I used to be the Blonde Vegan. Many changes and iterations. And we had an LLC. And what's interesting too, for a lot of people listening who are kind of like, serial entrepreneur starting a lot of businesses. We opened that LLC and we closed it when we closed the business. But my husband, a serial entrepreneur, had a couple LLCs that he forgot to close. Forgot to close. That probably sounds crazy to you, but to, to me, like, yeah, I would forget to close. And I hope he doesn't kill me for this, but some years passed and they had this kind of big expense, he and previous business partner of, oh my God, we never closed our LLC. Mm-hmm. So, and like the annual franchise taxes were adding up. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes an accountant can help you navigate those. Um, but yeah, if you, if you have an entity set up, there is that like annual tax that you need to worry about. And if you're no longer using that entity, that's a good thing to shut down to not for sure, keep incurring for sure. those. So what are you? What is your framework, law group? So we are a professional corporation. For certain professions, uh, which certainly comes up in the wellness community, if you are providing services that require a license, then there are you can be a sole proprietor or you can be a professional corporation. Some states let you be a professional LLC. California does not currently have anything for, for professional LLCs. Um, so it's either sole proprietor, professional corporation, or some type of partnership or limited liability partnership. Um, so there's less options, but you can still take advantage of some degree of limited liability and the tax benefits. Interesting. Wow. So what do you see most people choosing who are, I guess you could say like somebody like me, who's a wellness entrepreneur? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I chat with clients about which entity to pick, um, often for a small business that's not trying to raise venture capital, the first entity I focus on would probably be an LLC in that it's the it's kind of the new entity on the block. It still comes with limited liability and tax options. Um, there are less administrative tasks and upkeep to deal with than a more traditional corporation. 
it's a lot more flexible in how you structure it than a corporation, which is a little bit more rigid in its rules. For example, if you own an LLC 50-50, but you want to take profit distributions a different way for some reason, you're probably going to be able to do that. Whereas with a corporation, if you own it 50-50, the IRS probably wants to see profit distributions done um, exact. And another quick disclaimer, we'll touch on tax things here. And I know just enough to get people in trouble. So take anything I say about taxes with a grain of salt. I am Good not an accountant know. and you should connect with an accountant. But We'll have an accountant on yeah, next. <laughs> perfect. Um, so based on that, just like given the... There's less admin, less upkeep, more flexibility with the LLC. I like that. Um, some accountants will want you to be taxed as an S-corp, as we said, which is traditionally an S-corporation. Mm-hmm. But with an LLC, you can make an S-corp election. So often our clients land on an LLC taxed as an S-corp, which in many instances can be the best of both worlds. But it's always a conversation between um, the client, the lawyer, and the accountant. Mm-hmm. And just to like. see what's best. Sometimes the accountant's like, I definitely want you to be an S-corporation, traditional classic. And then unless there's a good reason not to, I say, sure. Mm-hmm. And then briefly, if you are going the venture capital route where you are trying to raise investor money from venture capitalists, you're probably going to end up being a Delaware C-Corp. That's kind of the more traditional startup model. Investors have experience putting money in those and getting their money out. And they know the specific rigid rules in connection with that. Um, so if that's your path, that might be the route to go. If you are taking like friends and family investors, you can likely do that through an LLC. Um, and you can also switch entities over time. So you can start with one. And then mm-hmm. if things change, you can pivot. So interesting. (laughs) So my dad who lives upstairs, Mm -hmm. he's my accountant. And I'm so excited. I wish he was down here so we could could have that conversation, like you said, between the accountant lawyer and Mm -hmm. myself, because he's always kept me as a sole proprietorship for Mm -hmm. certain reasons. He's a longtime entrepreneur. He has owned many businesses in his life. Mm -hmm. And now I'm just so curious. I don't think he has anything against an LLC. But yeah, we've just never ended up going that that route. Yeah, people often ask like, when is it time to make the leap from a sole proprietor to one of these entities? And one is like, how much liability are you facing? Mm-hmm. Like you have a podcast, you have video workshops. Uh, I imagine you have good terms of service and things to help protect you mm-hmm. in connection with those. So maybe your liability is a bit less. At the same time, you have a pretty big following. So you're putting yourself out there to more people. True. If you are... So it's kind of a risk assessment. How much risk are you exposing yourself to? If you're selling like uh, consumable goods, you're probably going to want a company. Like if I was selling food or something? Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I always make my kind of lawyer disclaimer too. Like Mm -hmm. I am not telling you guys what to do. All (laughs) I ever do is share my own experience. Mm -hmm. I am a health coach, but I'm not a practicing health coach. I, I just talk about my own experience. Interesting. So much stuff to think about. Mm -hmm. I know this is really helpful for people. And then getting into protecting intellectual property. Yeah. So interested about this. Like many people in this field get copied a lot. I see myself getting copied all the time. I kind of try to turn a blind eye to it because I know that's what happens when you put yourself out there, especially on social media. So when is it time to, I guess, Number one, how do we protect our intellectual property being online? Yeah, absolutely. Intellectual property is a topic that I love for whatever reason. Um, (laughs) I love that you love it. So there's different kinds of intellectual property and different ways of protecting it. 
trademarks are there to protect your brand identity. Uh, so that could be your business name, your logo, a unique slogan, or a unique product name. A trademark is a shield and a sword for that brand identity. And it's a shield in that if you have a trademark, you can feel pretty confident no one else is going to stop you from using that brand identity. Mm -hmm. And it's a sword in that if someone is doing something too similar to you that's confusing the public, you will have rights to go out and stop them from doing that. And then the way you own a trademark is at the most base level in common law, you can own a trademark simply by using it in commerce in connection with certain goods and services. So you've had your Balance Blonde podcast out for a long time. And mm -hmm. simply just by doing that, you are establishing some rights to it. So if mm -hmm. someone before you have had a trademark were to do something too similar, you could still say, hey, I've been using this name for this long. I have priority to the name. And you could try to stop them from using it. You would be in a stronger position to stop them with that registered trademark. Because one, there's a once you have that registered trademark, there's a legal presumption of your ownership to the name. Uh, two, you have more rights in court, so there's more teeth to go after them with. And you also just have the, the facts that you've put them on notice of your rights to the mark mm -hmm. because it's registered in a public database, which can further help deter people from even trying to do something too similar because they've been put on notice. So you're in a stronger spot to protect and defend your mark um, if you have a registration. You can file a trademark before you're using the name. You can file it after using their name. There's different rules for each. I could get into all kinds of details on trademarking, but that's kind of the quick. Yeah, um, that's a good. That's a good answer. So, if somebody was starting a podcast today, mm -hmm. would you say that they should trademark the name if they're intending to be serious with it and eventually make it their career? It's certainly something that I recommend. I think it's going to almost always be better to have a trademark than to not have a trademark. Uh, the cost will vary. At the base level, the government's going to charge $250 per class that you file under. You can file under different classes. Like mm -hmm. for you, there's a class for educational services that would relate to your podcast. If you expand it into apparel and other things, there's other classes you could file under. And protection for the mark is specific to the class that you file under. So there could conceivably be a balanced blonde like diaper brand mm -hmm. because that <laughs> wouldn't necessarily be too confusing to your name. True. So that being said, so there's some cost going into it. As far as like service fees, if you're working with LegalZoom, they're probably going to charge you a few hundred bucks and you will get mixed results. If you're working with a lawyer, it might be in the range of like a thousand. If you're working with a big dino firm, it'll be thousands, I would mm -hmm. imagine. So there's the cost involved. And for some businesses, they're like, you know, I, I've got this name, but I'm really not that married to it. I'm not so worried about securing and policing it. So maybe it's not a priority. Um, but for a lot of other companies, it's a huge asset that they want to lock down as soon as possible. Definitely. Yeah. I have so many memories coming back to me now about my clothing line when we had... It was um, it was a line of t-shirts that said health-inspired phrases on them, like Okalia, Yoga Junkie, things like that, where we had to trademark every single one because we, would, we learned the hard way releasing these and then seeing them kind of copied all over the place. So then we started trademarking each little phrase. I forgot about this whole entire life. Having a product is is no joke. Yeah, definitely. I mean, people get ripped off all the time. Um, and there, there's things you can protect within your business and there's things you can't. Mm -hmm. Things you can include your trademark. Another thing you can protect are your uh, copyrights. And those are creative works that are original 
things like every single podcast you record is considered a creative work subject to copyright. It could be books, audio, video, graphics, pretty much any creative content that you create that's original is subject to copyright. Mm -hmm. And similar to a trademark, you can own a copyright without registering it uh, simply by creating it. And also similar to a trademark, it's you'll be in a better position to defend yourself if you have that registration. Like you cannot even go to court to defend a trademark or to prosecute infringement of trademark unless you have that registration. So, so would you recommend copywriting a podcast? Is that possible? You can copyright a podcast. Often, I help our clients kind of prioritize what they do and don't copyright. If tomorrow someone else started downloading and streaming all of your podcasts on another page and you wanted to go after them, you could certainly send that demand letter. They might ask to see your copyright registration, in which case we might be filing like rush applications, which instead of costing $60, the government charges like $800 to get that quick registration. So So it's technically legal if you don't have a copyright for someone else to stream your conversations. It's not legal for them to do it. You just can't sue them in court until you have the registration. Because this has happened to people that I know. Mm -hmm. So interesting. There's efficient ways of going about it. Like you can file up to 10 unpublished works in a single application for a government fee of like 65 bucks. So some of our clients will just take their creative works for the upcoming season and file them in a batch uh, in advance. And they'll, they'll kind of routinely do that. So if anything does come up, they're prepared. Interesting. So I guess you just have to think about how important is is it mm-hmm. to you? I don't know what that would feel like if someone started streaming my podcast. I would probably say, enjoy. It's fine. Like mm-hmm. I put it out there. You can put it out there. Totally. Don't quote me. I might not feel that way if it happens. <laughs> yeah, if but... they started like selling it or you know, right. monetizing no, off that of it. would be totally mm-hmm. different. Yeah. Interesting. So a whole other thing that's really important to talk about with you here is contracts because. Mm-hmm. All of us, I mean, I fell into being an entrepreneur. I never thought that I would own my own business. That was never the plan. I was in grad school for creative writing. And then I started my blog and then ended up pursuing the blog full time, making a career out of it. And all of a sudden I was a business owner. So yeah, like I said, that was 2013 and I've learned so many things along the way contracts, I have learned again the hard way to read every single word with a fine tooth comb. So what are your tips for navigating contracts? Yeah, definitely. So you're setting up your business, you've picked out your entity you want to be, whether that's a sole proprietor, LLC or whatever. You've maybe locked down some intellectual property to secure that part of your business. Another thing you can get set up in advance is your contracts that are going to govern how you sell your goods or services, how you work with your staff, how you work with your business partners. And that's all important foundations that you can prepare kind of general templates that you use on a routine basis and pull out of your pocket. So if you are a services company, like you provide creative design services or coaching services, you should probably have a baseline services agreement that's going to cover things like at the baseline, your your services, your rates, but then also if there's intellectual property involved, who's going to own that? Are you assigning it to your client? You'll want to have limitations on your liability. Like often we say that the client cannot pursue you for more than they pay you. So even if something does come up or you're in breach of contract, they shouldn't be trying to go after lost business profits or other consequential damages. Their fee should be capped at however much they've paid you. 
Uh, and then we just kind of cover other general contract interpretation things like where the contract will be governed. And I could probably bore everyone with all the things that go into a contract. But that's something that you should have to just... Whenever you have a new client, you whip out the contract, mm-hmm. you fill in a few customizable areas to specify the specifics for the project. And then you can proceed knowing that you're pretty well protected working with that client. Uh, similarly, for any employee that you're working with, whether they're a contractor or an employee, you're going to want to have some contract governing your relationship with them, including similar limitations on liability, confirming that when they create content for you, that you own it so you can run with it and they're not coming after you later. And one of the biggest ones also is if you do have business partners, it's good to have an agreement with them and to do it early. Like Often we start working with a, a buddy or friend and it's all fun, and but maybe you guys didn't fully connect on like what ownership of this is going to look like or what control is going to look like or did you even tend to be business partners or did you think your friend was just helping you out? And so putting a contract together is not a sign of distrust, but it's an opportunity to have a meeting of the minds to make sure that you guys are a good fit for business partners and that you have a plan for how things are going to go. And if things don't go well, you can look back to the contract about what you agreed upon. um, And that can be there to help you reconnect or if need be, you can enforce certain rights in the contract. So those are a few baseline contracts that are, I think, important parts of your legal framework getting set up. So do you think somebody needs a lawyer to make a contract? Or like, what if someone out here listening is like, okay, I need to make a contract. What should they do? Do Is there a template online or something? Or do they need help? Of all the things we've talked about so far, I think contracts are one of the more important ones to actually have legal help on. Um, There are certainly templates that are really good starting points. Um, Lawyers often work with templates and customization might be minimal or a lot depending, but the lawyer does know what is or isn't needed. Clients often try to like hobble together contracts off the internet and put together what they think is best. And I've seen mixed results all over the place. Um, usually there's some gaps. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the type of thing that like, you know, if you're, if you're a wellness coach, you know your wellness, let the lawyer know the lawyer. Yes, Just kind of yes. have that pure community of letting people do what they do. Totally. No, I'm totally laughing about the hobbled together contracts I used to make back in the day. I mean, I thought that I was covering everything, but no way. That is not my expertise. I should have you look at my current contracts though. Happy to check it out. Yeah. So cool. So going back to intellectual property, you mentioned something called trade secrets. What are trade secrets and why do we need to know about them? Well. There, there's trade secrets as like an intellectual property concept, which I'd mentioned in there. Um, that's another type of intellectual property you can protect, which I'm kind of looping back to. Trade secrets would be things like your mailing list, your secret recipe for your food product, um, or any other information that has value to your business that has value because the public doesn't know it. And unlike uh, trademarks and copyrights, the way you protect that is not by registering it, but by keeping it a secret, which can oh. mean not telling anyone. Or if you do need to tell someone like your assistant or the chef, you make sure that the contract you have with them includes confidentiality so they can't oh, share I it. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. Wow, that's so interesting. So so if you like, so you're saying then if you have a secret recipe that you don't want anyone to know, you just shouldn't tell them. Exactly. Or make sure if you do tell them that they're bound by some non-disclosure I agreement see. or other confidentiality. Mm-hmm. Like there's... You know, big brands like I think Coca-Cola is a classic example where no one knows the exact recipe um, and it's not registered anywhere. People can try to mimic it. Even if they get it exactly right, that's okay. As long as they don't steal 
the recipe from Coca-Cola yes, yes. or breach a contract to steal it. Interesting. Wow. So what are some typical things that people come to you for? People coming from the wellness world or the creative world? What's the type of subject that everybody needs help with? Yeah. So a lot of the early stuff is the stuff we just touched on. Picking the right business entity, registering their trademark, maybe getting some copyright secured, um, and then getting their contracts together for their clients, their workers, perhaps their website. Um, If they're operating a website, you probably want to contract governing your rules with the users or whoever's accessing your site. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of the initial framework that we deal with. And then from there, we help out with day-to-day things as they come up, which can include they get a new contract from... They're working with a big corporation and the corporation wants them to sign a contract. So we'll review that and probably redline it and make some changes to make sure they're in good shape going into that. Or they might be hiring some new staff and have some questions on compliance there. So we chat through those logistics. Or they run into a dispute where they're trying to collect a payment from a client um, and they need to write a demand letter or take some other action to pursue that. So kind of all the little bumps in the road that pop up, uh, people come back to us for help with that. Um, So yeah, that's kind of like the general... It's mostly transactional and we do some dispute resolution I don't go into court anymore. If it does bubble up into litigation, I refer mm-hmm. them to a colleague who handles that specifically. But you just don't like going to court, or you just decided that's not like what you focus on. It's its own beast of a practice area. There's a million rules and strategies and ins and outs, and it's definitely like a shark practice. Um, when people come to me for dispute resolution, I let them know specifically. I'm like, hey, I I'm good at helping people put their guards down to kind of calm down and have a conversation. If people are ready to do that, I can often facilitate an amicable resolution that people can walk away with happy. Right. If people are coming guns out, walls up, I am not going to be the shark guy to help you like stab them and get them (laughs) every which way, talk to somebody else for that. So I let people know and um, sometimes they go on, but often they do work with me and often we do have some good results. Mm -hmm. Wow. That makes sense. That makes sense. My brother is a bankruptcy lawyer, mm-hmm. so he goes to court a lot. And it, I can imagine that it's its own beast. It's just a whole thing, a whole yeah, energy Yeah, some people there. love it. Right. Of course. I mean, all different types of people, all different types of lawyers. So let's talk about your life a little bit outside yeah. of work. What is your wellness routine? You said you're into wellness, which we love. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I've been mindful of wellness for a long time. I think I had some good friends in college who kind of helped me tap into various things and other friends along the way from just like eating well to keeping a good fitness routine, spending time outdoors, meditating if I'm being really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, on a, on a day-to-day, my, my wife and I have a, a new routine where around like 4 or 5 p.m. before dinner, we do a workout together. Oh, that's so fun. Like before the pandemic, I would run off and I'd go to the gym every night after work before dinner. And she like never worked out. It just wasn't her thing. But now that we're all just at home, cooped up, I'm like, all right, come on, honey. So we've kind of like made our own workout routine. So that's been super fun and that's so fun. helpful for the day. Yeah, we, we try to eat organic, sustainable, largely vegan, not 100% vegan. We did a year of being vegan. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. What year did you do that? I think it was 2018. Cool. Um, we just like the the grossness of the factory farming in the industry. Just kind of like it's it's still really gross. Mm-hmm. We took a full year off. We could probably do it better. It was challenging to. Uh, 
we found ourselves eating more more carbs, more fried food, more fillers to right. try to keep up. Um, and that like, I felt myself gaining weight and like she was feeling weak. And one day we ate a salmon and we were like, okay, that was really, <laughs> that was really nice. So uh-huh. we, we've tried to work it back and like as a as conscientious as we can, if that's even a thing, I'm sure to yeah, many it it's not. But, no, predominantly yeah. plant-based or whatever mm-hmm. is, is totally a thing. And we try to source our goods from like, at least places that claim to be as yeah. like yeah, <laughs> sound I as possible. So, so yeah, that that's diet. And I, I get to go snowboarding all the time now, which is awesome. Do you live it? Is it snowy up there? Yeah, we get oh a my ton God. of snow. Um, so crazy that an hour outside of LA is mm-hmm. snow. Yeah, like all it seems like half the city comes up on the weekends to come take part. Yeah, um, but yeah, like there's a snowboarding mountain five minutes away from our home, which has been super great just to get out and be in nature. Mm-hmm. That's so nice. And then you said that you meditate. Is there anything else that's part of like your spiritual routine? I have been a serial entrepreneur for years, trying all kinds of different ideas. Framework Law Group was like the best one that stuck and has resonated and kept with me. After the last few like random ideas I had more recently, I've just been focusing on art like I planned on from the beginning to Mm -hmm. do the law route and keep art fun. So I've been getting back into doing the fun art, uh, which includes like playing various songs that I've made up that are, you know, maybe one day I'll be ready to share with more people. And then my family and I've been making our own home movies, which includes like, I take all the videos off our phones and then splice them together. Like you can often find me on a Saturday night at midnight, happily splicing together home movies and putting that perfect song in the perfect spot. And then we all watch it the next day. And then we we also recently made like a few fictional shorts um, with the girls, just like we had this like kind of Victorian home that inspired me to like, oh, we should do some creepy movies here. So, um, so just playing stuff like that. That stuff is like extremely meditative and just yeah. keeps me keeps me alive, especially in the pandemic when we're not traveling as much as we used to and right. not seeing as many people. Just like having some art to tap into. I love that. That's it. You're a cool dad to do that kind of stuff with your kids. I do my best. Yeah. How old are they? Uh, my stepdaughter, Amelie, just turned eight. Mm-hmm. And my daughter, Elena, just turned one and a half. Oh, wow. Baby. Yeah. That's so fun. So cool. And how did you meet your wife? We met when I was teaching a legal workshop in 2016. Um, she came. She was looking for some help with her photography business mm-hmm. um and there's a whole story about how we had to go back and forth trying to reschedule because she we i couldn't make it to the first workshop but in any case we eventually connected and decided to go get dinner and kept going after that oh i love that so she's a photographer yeah she's a photographer she has a great instagram mama niella co uh, she does family home baby maternity photography so Beautiful. a lot of motherhood a lot of babies people just living their real life at home and since the pandemic started and our daughter's school closed, she's been homeschooling uh, Amelie. And that's tapped her into a whole new world of like how best to do that. We talked about having a Escuela de Brujas, a school of witches. Yeah. And she's working on a Wrightwood nature school. Oh my God, cool. Like not a full-time school, but just kind of a program that people can come to every week, a few times a year yeah, where kids can come out, be in nature, learn about tracking footprints, growing fungi, 
whatever other cool things she explores. So she's got a lot of cool stuff going on too. That's really cool. I love that. My friend's mom does that in Colorado and I love hearing about it and the kids' imaginations and like learning outside. So cool. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I want to ask you some of the rapid fires that I ask everyone who comes on, but don't worry. You don't have to be too rapid. Okay. Where do you see yourself in five years? In five years, I would love to see myself still in our same home. I, I still see myself practicing law the way I have been and still growing within that profession and with my clients. I, I would like to see my art being a little bit more of something I do. Like just having a, a film at a film festival would be really cool or actually just like putting out the EP finally. So if I had those two things accomplished, I mean, I'm hoping to do that this year, but maybe in five years, that would be a great spot to be. Yeah. And I've been watching my wife's entrepreneurship blossom, which has kind of hit bumps in the road with babies and pandemics, but I see a lot of potential coming from her. So she's been growing a lot as well. And one of the big themes that we see in our life, which was something we had before the pandemic, but not as much, is just living in other places. Yeah. Like we love to get up and go. We lived in Chicago for two months a few years ago where my parents are. We have plans to you know, be in Hawaii, be in Europe, be wherever. Both of our careers we can largely do digitally. Uh, so I mean, that's one of the big perks of having entrepreneurship or like, even being a lawyer, all you really need is a phone and a laptop. So we like to get up and go and live in different places. So I hope to see us traveling a lot more in the years to come. Yeah, that's so cool. I love that. That's what I want to do too. But my husband is... For the time being, more tethered to his office, quote unquote, but I really see the whole world moving in a more remote direction. Yeah, there's a season for everything. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So we talked about this a little bit. You know your sun sign, your Pisces. Mm -hmm. Do you know your moon sign and your rising? I do not know. We'll have to look it up. I can look it up for you later if you you know your birth time. But you're, you're a Pisces, your birthday is next week, and you definitely give Pisces energy. Cool. Which is a good thing. I love Pisces, water signs. You guys are very gentle, very sensitive in a way, if you relate to that. Yeah, I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. I love it. What are some of your favorite foods? Sushi is definitely a big one. Um, there's no sushi restaurants in Wrightwood, but the farmer's market does have some really good sushi-grade fish. And my wife and I have been experimenting with that, getting the rice like nice, warm and fluffy. And we were big fans of sugar fish back in the city. So we mm-hmm. try to like recreate that. Um, so that's certainly a go-to. My wife and I both do a ton of cooking. She tends to do more like uh, Ayurvedic, vegan meals. And then if we're going to grill up a, a grass-fed steak, I'll probably take the lead on that one. And then Taco Tuesday is always really fun. Every Tuesday, we make a bunch of tacos of different varieties. So yeah. That's so fun. You guys sound fun. You guys keep it keep it fun over there. <laughs> I love it. We try to. Yeah. Are you a night person or a morning person? I am absolutely a night person, which has been tough with a toddler. Like I went to great lengths after law school and the law jobs to have the freedom to wake up when I wanted to, which was often at like 10, maybe 11 in the morning. And then stay up till midnight or one or two. And then we had our baby. And now she's up at like five, six in the morning. And my wife and I have kind of figured out a schedule where we, we take turns waking up with her. So this morning she woke up with the baby. I got to sleep in a little bit longer. Tomorrow I'll wake up with her. 
And but she, she's sleeping in later and later as we go. And like I've definitely learned to surrender my nighttime and just have discipline to go to bed mm-hmm. and wake up feeling good. I'm with you. I'm a night person too. And when we have kids, I think about that all the time. Like oh, you have to surrender. You have to like mm-hmm. just stop fighting it. Mm-hmm. I'm learning. I'm trying to learn. Who's your inspiration? When I see people just kind of take ownership of themselves as an individual and make bold moves that resonate with who they are with you know limited fear or just people who just I don't, people who go for it mm-hmm. I, I mean I see it all over the place I see plenty of clients like mine who took similar entrepreneur paths that were filled with obstacles and hurdles and they just kept at it I mean a lot of it is like cliche stuff you hear all the time, like to believe in yourself and you know follow your dreams and all that. But there is a real component to sticking with something versus not, which I, I've certainly followed in both directions. Like with framework, I needed it. And so I stuck with it despite all the challenges and I made it work. Mm-hmm. Since then, I've, I've had this confidence that like, okay, I can do this. So I have boldly like gone towards other things that I didn't need. And I, I would overcome one obstacle, two obstacles, three, four, five. And then suddenly I was like, I, am I wasting my, my time and everyone else's? Am I crazy? And then I would get kind of crawl back to framework. So it, it can certainly go both ways. But when I'm inspired by people, it's those people who are just like jumping out there and doing it and yeah. taking ownership of it. I love that. I love that so much. What is next for you and what's on the horizon? I think I touched on a lot of it. I mean, yeah. it's it's definitely family time. It's the season for that. It's like amazing watching our daughters grow. I am beyond thrilled that this pandemic might just be on its way out. Like we can get vaccines maybe in a few months and hit the road and get out of here and like mm-hmm. start living life again. I think we've made the best with what we have, but I'm eager to see what's on the other side of the pandemic. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know. We're like doing grown-up stuff. Like we're like we bought our first home in July. That was really cool. Yeah. Or we've paid off most debts from our youth. We are I have like a IRA or mm-hmm. <laughs> things <laughs> like too. that. So we're like, yes. we're like doing responsible adult stuff. Um so we're, we're planning for our future. And um our, my wife and I like to talk about growing wiser and wilder together. So oh, just I love that. more wise about ourselves and mm-hmm. just wilder in the pursuits that we take upon ourselves. That's so cool. What's one piece of advice you would give yourself 10 years ago? My wife and I also talk about this a lot too. If like our youthful self could see us now, I think they would be like stoked. Like if the, if the artist me who was um, running around in high school doing photography, making movies, knew that now I was going to be living in the mountains with my family, making art and running a creative law firm with a bunch of awesome people. He'd be like, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good job. So yeah, I, if I were to give him advice, I mean, there were certainly many mistakes made along the way, but I think all of those probably needed to happen. So I would just tell him, tell him to keep at it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And where can everybody find you? Yes. Yeah, so you can find, if you're looking for Framework Law online, you can go to frameworklaw.com. We have an Instagram at Framework Law Group. And that is where you can find me. I'm always happy to chat with entrepreneurs, just do a free conversation like we're having right now just to see what's up with your legal, 
and where we can help. Wow. That is a good offer to everybody out there. I think I think a lot of people will take you up on that. And I just have to say, I mean, after having a business for eight years, it is just so nice to have legal support and just feel like there's someone I can go to with all the questions that I have since you're so specific to entrepreneurs. And um, I mean, like I said, I have lawyers and the family and stuff, but there's so many different types of law. So you're very appreciated. Happy to be a resource. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Jordan. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Grant Atkinson. I know if you're here listening, it's because you are an entrepreneur or you're interested in just learning legal tips to start a business and keep yourself protected, keep your intellectual property protected, which is harder and harder to do these days online. So I'm so happy to provide you with Grant as an incredible resource. I hope that this episode taught you a lot. It definitely taught me a lot. My head was spinning. My jaw was on the ground for half of it. I was just like, oh my God, I'm learning so many things. And I'm very grateful for him in my life. So thank you to Grant for coming on. And also thank you to our incredible sponsor for today's episode, Beekeepers Naturals. I'm so excited to have them sponsoring the podcast. And we'll be having the founder, Carly, on the show in a couple months. So if you have any questions about them, save them up for that episode. Definitely try the Bee Propolis Spray. Use that code BLONDE for a fabulous discount or just go to beekeepersnaturals.com slash blonde. And if you feel inspired to rate and review the show on iTunes, as always, I have the big wellness giveaway running each week for anyone who rates and reviews sends me a screenshot of their rating and review to jordan at thebalancefawn.com and I will send you my yoga ebook for free and I will also enter you into this week's big wellness giveaway with all of my favorite wellness brands. So with that, thank you so much for being here. Since this is a bonus episode, I'll be back on Wednesday. Let me know if you like these Monday bonus episodes. I don't know if I could ever commit to two episodes a week always, but when I'm able to do two episodes a week, which is about once a month, I like to do it and just kind of drop in and surprise you guys. So I hope everyone's having a beautiful Monday. I absolutely can't wait to talk more soon. And I'm sending you so much love. Thank you.